Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a friend to choose a story and to think about their favourite things about each episode and then when I commentate along I have to see if I can identify what those things might be. Hi everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and a big thank you to Toby for inviting me on to Happy Times and Places to talk about one of my favourite stories from Doctor Who. My name is Fraser Gregory, I am a full-time Doctor Who fan and have been ever since the Daleks came up the stairs after Sylvester McCoy in Remembrance of the Daleks. Today I have come to discuss my favourite story from season 18 of Doctor Who, which is Megloss. Well, welcome everybody and welcome to part two of Megloss as introduced and eulogised by Fraser Gregory. So, I'm old enough to remember October 1980. I had no idea this was a story that was destined to be seen as a stylistic hangover from season 17 and not, um, you know, in keeping with the elegant mathematics and scientific rigour of the new regime scripturally under Christopher H. Bidmead and uh, aesthetically and in overall charge of John Nathan Turner uh, who himself would obviously go to take the show to a place where it was maligned for its silliness but when he uh, or or its over-reliance in continuity or whatever it is that uh, you think is wrong with the John Nathan Turner era and there are lots of people who have lots of differing opinions and some who think that that opinion is wrong and that Doctor Who wouldn't have survived as long without him. I mean, I think there's a truth in little bits of everybody's views, but certainly uh, he was the Renaissance man at this period of the show's history uh, and the Leisure Hive had brought Doctor Who dazzling into the 1980s with its starscape and its neon logo and its love it Bickford with his single camera work and the music by the radiophonic workshop and uh, a very sensible and uh, rigorous approach to the scientific aspects of what Doctor Who could do and then one story later we have a planet with talking plants uh, uh, invaded by pirates led by a bloke from the army game uh, and uh, people in wigs arguing with people with hats about religion versus science all whilst Doctor Who and his companion don't even leave the TARDIS for the first instalment and we are about to find them uh, going through a loop in time a chronic hysteresis uh, which uh, they will well, we'll see how they'll get out of it. So let's see how Fraser Gregory defends <laughs> Megloss, uh, as he has every right to do. And uh, we're going to press play in three, two, one. Well, one of the lovely things about not doing these all in one go, as I haven't with this particular set of happy times and places is, is is that I've had a bit of feedback from the people who inhabit the rarefied atmosphere of my Patreon and uh, a couple of interesting things 
have happened. Uh, one of which is that uh, uh, apparently Crawford Logan is credited as the voice of Megalos in the Blu-ray. I've not read the production notes on the Blu-ray. So somebody has either found that out or, heaven forbid, they might have listened to my interview with him. Who knows? Uh, so uh, we, so now we <laughs> And the other thing is actually a bit of rigorous... Uh, a bit of rigorous science, uh, which uh, I will quote shortly, but it's uh, it's about the dodecahedron, which is rather rather fun. Um, now then, how do we feel? I mean, I love, I I I love Christopher H. Bidmead's rather sort of lofty proclamations about the rigorous nature of the scientific ideas he brought to Doctor Who and here we have a time loop that is defeated by the scientific method of giving the incorrect cue or you know I listened to a podcast recently might have been hamster with a blunt pen knife I think which is just by coincidence recently talked about Megalos and they say they basically beat it through amateur dramatics which is a very fair point um she actually does a gulp there doesn't she Romana Lalaward actually does a thing that you know i'm not sure people do that in real life we we sort of gulp as a shorthand for you know a yikes in you know comic books or descriptions or something but i'm not sure but people i'm I'm not sure i've anywhere ever seen anybody in real life actually go oh crikey but she does that there doesn't she she does a gulp um i love the look on frederick treves's face i mean if in doubt have a good time and good actors can do it and bad actors can't and actually the, the the history of doctor who is is sometimes littered with people deciding to have a laugh who who don't actually have what it takes fortunately um you know treves is a, a an exquisite uh, and and very decent actor so you know he has the technique and the ability to sort of un- underline you know, to to give ballast to the sort of silliness that he is indulging in, so it works. It's it's fine, and it's actually a joy. It's a joy to watch, especially if you know him from from other things. As I say, I think he's barely recognisable, and and you know, Fraser can do that kind of eye rolling, rumbling, uh, you know, uh, dryly um, sort of pessimistic uh, comedy in his sleep. Um, yeah, as I say. It's a bitchy. This episode is 21 minutes long and a, a good portion of that 21 minutes is the Doctor and Romana doing the same thing. That's a, oh, that's a, that's a reasonable shot. I mean, the spaceship wobbles a bit, doesn't it, as it goes up, but, but, oh, it, no, actually it wobbles quite a lot. <laughs> but it's a brave, you can, you can sort of see that somebody's got a hand out shot or a, a stick and they're sort of waggling it. Um, why, why does that person get a, why does that extra at the back get suddenly a bit of attention? Uh, anyway, uh, I that's Bruce Callender, who's the uh, the gentleman of colour next to uh, Frederick Treves there. Who was uh, he's also a Mavellan, I think. He's uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, uh, nice to see. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a sadly rare thing to see any actors of colour in in Doctor Who. Uh, you know, during during this period and of course it's rather a shame that it has to be a non-speaking uncredited performer but it it shows that attempts are being made to redress the balance however inadequate they might seem now uh, that was actually a lovely shot that low angle and you saw Jacqueline Hill's shadow first actually rather nicely lit 
she's a very striking woman, isn't she? And that's a great costume, the pink and the black. Um, uh, Zasta's just woken up, and he's <laughs> oh, poor old Edward Underdown. Uh, um, so the Dion now the Dion's worship the dodecahedron and the lovely uh, Lisa and Troby Troby and Lisa who are uh, patrons uh, at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock and all of that malarkey they have having listened to episode one of Megalos on Happy Times and Places. They have sent me, uh, they're round the archives on Twitter, by the way, and they do a brilliant podcast, which I've just remembered I've agreed to. That's actually a decent shot because it's a, it's a mixture of perspective and of a bit of model. And yeah, that was all right. The uh, ship's, uh, ship's uh, the, ship, the ship landing uh, far away in quite a small set. I think they're quite stuck for space here. So actually that was quite inventive. Um, I'm not sure what I make of, Tom Baker's performance of Megalos. I, I mean, the, the one key thing is that nobody's uh, talked to each other because uh, Megalos, the plant, is quite sort of uh, cheeky and, well, you know, he's very straightforward and, uh, um, you know, he sort of banters and outwits. He's got a witty uh, presence uh, in in his villainy, you know, and then Christopher Owen is is quite nicely sort of alien and savouring his sort of shape changing, and then Tom Baker has gone to sort of gone gone for sort of coldly psychotic. So nobody's discussed what Megloss is like, so that the three performers actually tie in their interpretations with each other. Um, I like Colette Gleason. Uh, she was in she was a semi regular in well a regular in Just Good Friends, the Jan Francis Paul Nicholas sitcom. Um, and I like, I don't know why, but I, there's something about what she does in this that I, I find sort of very attractive as a performance. I think she's, she's, she's got something. Um, and, and bless her, she's maintained her dignity whilst wearing that wig. Tom Baker's doing villainous acting there. I'll tell you about Simon Sutton, the Sentry. Uh, and I know that he's in, he's in later episodes. He's in all four episodes because, did I say this last time? This is the problem with not doing it all in the same night, uh, is that Megalos is the only Doctor Who story uh, that, does, that doesn't just consist of the regulars. So that let's take uh, Edge of Destruction uh, out, of, uh, out of the equation. Or we could say Edge of Destruction and Megalos are the only Doctor Who stories of the classic era, because obviously a Doctor Who story is a self-contained episode in the modern era, that has exactly the same cast credits for all of its episodes now it might be worth looking at the crew credits but i think because it's mid-season uh it, it it won't top and tail it with some of the things that you might have mid-season uh, if the crew are all the same which i suspect they probably are then we can extend it to not just cast but crew credits that it has exactly the same set of credits on all four episodes so of course when they released it on blu-ray they screwed up the opening credits by spelling andrew mcculloch's name wrong but let's not get into that uh, this is the story that was the easiest to do ha <laughs> ha um anyway um I swear allegiance to Ty is a very Tom Baker thing to do. Um and and he sort of he sort of done it, didn't he? He he flicks between playing scary Megalos and being Tom Baker larking about, which is essentially what 
what his doctor is at the moment. Um, but I swear allegiance to Ty. You can t- you could absolutely imagine him. The line is probably like, you want me to swear allegiance to Ty? And he's gone in rehearsal. Wouldn't it be witty if I said, I swear allegiance to Ty? Because that's funny and do it like that but unfortunately for him he's also doing it as the scary cold character that he's playing so it's this weird sort of melange tom baker's performance in this story i think uh i mean he's fascinating whatever he does you could you could listen to him read the phone book and he's got an enormous presence but he's quite ill disciplined and i'm now not always because sometimes an anarchic anarchic sort of uh, unpredictable presence as a performer, can can be electrifying on 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 film uh, and 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 television, but also says the square. Sometimes a little bit of discipline is actually very important when it comes to being part of a company telling a story. Uh, uh, I mean, this. The, I'm sorry, Christopher H. Bidmead. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure he would say, well, it was the fault of the writers, and we didn't have time to sort it out. But it's. I, I mean, this is amongst the stupidest things in the whole of Doctor Who. But I also know, as an actor, what fun it is to do bad acting. So you can see why everybody goes, oh, let's just do this. It's 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 quite fun. Um, I, I, I don't really remember this aspect of the story at the time. I was always kind of wanting them to get the hell out of the TARDIS anyway. So, so for me, this was probably a, a, a relief because I, I, I want them to get to the new, the new part of the story. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 all that's all quite indulgent isn't it but it's okay and so we've had that lower shot and now we've got a higher shot and the camera coming down so that co- oh and then uh, uh Diedrichs and uh Karis sort of uh, almost you know book bu- book book ending the frame uh as that comes down that's that's not that's not a bad attempt at a at an attractive and interesting visual and the levels are all good there Tom's up on a plinth, isn't he? So he's a bit higher than everybody. Anyway, centuries ago in this podcast, I was going to talk about Lisa and Troby, who have sent me um, a, a clip of a couple of clips that are to do with Meglos. One is uh, one is of Carl Sagan, the famous Carl Sagan, who's a, and it's a pro, oh, I wish we had program. It's just a clever man walking around and not always even looking at camera and saying stuff about in this case maths and he talks about the dodecahedron it hasn't come from nowhere so um you you and, and excuse me if you already know this but this was uh, i'm 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 no math mathematician um but sagan was saying that um the the pythagoreans who were the, the maths guys um uh were unsure of the that they they had various shapes the five shapes that stood for 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 different and important things and the cube uh, was something to do with its four sides were to do with uh, 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 elements and and all of that sort of stuff um, but um, but that the dodecahedron was a was a sort of it was a secret uh, and the and the general public weren't to know of it. Um, because uh, it, uh, it, 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 I love that phrase used. It, it, uh, it, it caused in the Pythagoreans a crisis in doctrine because it's something to do with the square root of two could not be expressed as a ratio of two numbers, no matter how big, uh, and that may and, and that that caused this crisis in doctrine um, because 
for the Pythagoreans, you should be able to express any number through a ratio. And that's what irrational means originally in mathematics. And here is the dodecahedron, so I'm being relevant. And I love that glowing bright light that suggests real power. And it's a very small set and it's just one camera angle, but uh, well, the camera's moving now, but that's that's impressive. I think that's great. That, and that's a really sort of Doctor Who-y thing. Uh, and, uh, but I love that lighting. But yeah, here we have the dodecahedron, which isn't really... Uh, oh, Tom's doing his raising his, his eyes to his skull thing that he does at the end of Armageddon Factor. You see him doing that pissed at parties and going, I've got a thing I can do now so I, I can bring it into my sci-fi. Um, so here he's got a thing. So he's with the dodecahedron, which... Um, uh, uh, but it's it's not just about maths. It's about the meaning of uh, irrational because irrational literally meant, you know, unable to be expressed through a ratio. Uh, but for the Pythagoreans, it then came to mean threatening because their world no longer made sense. That's how we get our meaning of the word irrational to mean, you know, against, uh, you know, dangerously against sensible thought because it threatened their their mathematical outlook uh, and so the dodecahedron which is made up of its faces are um what it one two the pent the pentagon pentagon not pentagons aren't they but uh, yeah and uh, they're, they're five-sided so the they're the five-sided shapes 12 of those make up a dodecahedron and there's something to do with the maths of that that the pythagoreans didn't like so uh so yeah so they so they hid it and it was dangerous they didn't trust the dodecahedron so that's probably um, you know, that's that's Bidmead there going. Well, you, you know, never mind the you know, breaking a time loop through the through the medium of terrible acting, uh, <laughs> that no, deliberate terrible acting from the Doctor and Ravana. Uh, you know that there's there's, you know that the 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 dodecahedron is uh, inspired by the reality of the Pythagorean uh, outlook towards that particular shape and its. Uh, and it's uh, the, the consequences it had for. Oh, I love this piece of music. Um, I I do like the 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 sort of cactus rattle uh, of of the theme that that Meglos has, which was one of the nicer bits of music on Doctor Who. The music, the LP I had that opened with the you, you know the and androids indigestion roar of uh, the the sea devils suite and then uh, the clattering whatever the hell it is of roger limb's arc of infinity it was uh, the, the the megalos but at least had a kind of sort of tune to it simon sutton uh, uh who is the guard he's now i think he's literary editor of the sunday times or something he's something literary um i'll i'll look it up properly this guard here um I had made a note of this in my head last week, uh, and I've, I've forgotten now because I've been looking at dodecahedron stuff. Um, so that's and that's a nice. It's actually quite nice that Karis and Lexa get their moment together. You know, the two factions united in the face of um, uh, shape. You know, dodecahedron shrinking. Um, I like Romana's red costume actually, and the, yes, this jungle. Uh, seemed like a thing at the time that you know the bell plants this was the sort of stuff as kids that uh, we you know were the headlines the things we were well into even though they're just a sort of incidental threat the bell plants were you know a, a selling point of this particular story um but yes i like i like the fact that the that the, the, the two factions have to uh 
get together in order to be terrified of the, of the, of the I mean, never mind the dodecahedron, there was a straight line of actors. <laughs> um, so the power is gone. Um, the other clip that Lisa and Troby sent me was of... Um, Barry Took, the presenter of Points of View. Points of View was a programme, uh, a typical BBC, where people wrote in to say what they liked and hated about television. And they quite often showcase things that people hated about television, uh, which, uh, because the BBC has always been very good. That, this is the piece of music, that... And then this this tune, which is a whole tune. And I remember then when I got these episodes to watch, I, I realised that, oh, this whole that whole piece of music is in this sequence. This is the whole sequence. So now watching it with the pictures, I'm sort of transported to my bedroom where I'd listen to this theme on the on the vinyl recording. Uh, but go, oh no, it's actually it's a whole it's a whole, you know, section of music that covers it. It's not it's not broken up like some bits of music that you would get on, you know, soundtrack records or CDs. This this whole bit is is whole in its thing. And of course Tom Baker as Megloss uh, was an image because there was a waxwork in Madame Two Swords, not only of, of Tom Baker, famously used for the Five Doctors, uh, but I'm sure when I went to Madame Two Swords, I've only been once, I'm sure Tom Baker's doctor was there, but also, was Meg was he there as Megloss as well? Did they do two? Um, which seems lovely publicity for Megloss. Um, you know, not, not many people get Madame Two Swords made of them, you know, world leaders, famous astronauts, sports people, figures of history... Uh, doc and Doctor Who, yeah, and Megloss. I mean, that's <laughs> he's you know he's not in the. It's only because he looks a bit like Doctor Who. Uh, and I love the way that um, uh, th that piece of music ends with when the Doctor when the Doctor enters, you get a little bit of doom doom do do do. You know, it's uh, you get a bit of the Doctor Who theme. I always like it when the incidental music does a little bit of a oh it's Doctor. Who. And I think they weren't allowed to do that at some points. So or after a while, I'm sure was it in. John Nathan Turner's memoirs, or maybe is it the the modern series where you're you're not allowed to you're not allowed to echo the theme tune now, uh, or at certain at some point in the history of the show with with the incidental music. But that's definitely not always been a rule because uh, you did it there. There's a bit, isn't there, in Greatest Show in the Galaxy when they uh, when they uh, you know run go off from the stalls, lady, is it? And uh, you get a, you get a little bit of the you get a little bit of the theme in it. Uh, Oh, she's no nonsense, is Lex. And, and I love the fact that she's got her hair hanging out the back. <laughs> um, so, yes, Barry, Barry Took had a letter on points of view. And I'm, I'm saying this at a time when the, the, the BBC is uh, full of stories, self-flagellating stories of complaints against it uh, for uh, its, uh, its behaviour towards one of its presenters. Um, we'll get my opinion out of that out of the way very quickly. If, if, if a BBC presenter... At presenting a sports program in the present the presenting of that sports expresses an, a political opinion i think the viewers are fair enough to say i've watched a sports program i don't want the presenter to you know infect that with their opinion on his social media i think he's allowed to say whatever he likes because it's not on the bbc uh it seems to me fairly straightforward or, or otherwise where do you draw the line i was at a dinner party with gary lydica and he expressed his opinion 
uh, he's paid by the BBC. He's no right to express an opinion. Well, yeah, as long as he's not doing it on the BBC during the course of a BBC programme. So, but uh, let's not get into that. And that, there's me. I occasionally work on the BBC and I've just expressed an opinion. Uh, Frederick Treves does, does, I mean, he's sort of taking the mickey with that going up a couple of octaves in the issue of his climactic threat. But it kind of works. And Lala Ward... Is, is always, even though I think she can be a bit glib sometimes, she's very good at that looking in terror at the cliffhanger stuff. She does, you know, she doesn't undersell any of that stuff. Um, but yes, yeah, so on points of view, uh, Bar Barry took, uh, read out a letter saying that uh, he shouldn't, uh, he, sh he, sh he shouldn't be presenting points of view anymore and that this list of people um, thought that Meglos should be doing it instead and it's a big list and he only quotes from a few of them but it's people like Idi Amin and Barry Took and you know it's 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 well known of famous people um, so it's a it's a spoof letter but basically suggesting that, that Barry Took much loved presenter of points of view should be replaced by Meglos and Barry said he doesn't know who the hell Meglos is um, and, and in those days, I suspect you could present that program and nobody would actually bother to check. You just do that as a gag. But uh, I don't know. Um, so so Meglos had, has had two. I've had two little raidings of the archives. Thanks to Round the Archives. They're around the archives. They've been raiding them. And they very kindly sent me, uh, yes, a clip of Carl Sagan being amazing. And I thought I understood it. And then I started to try and explain it to you. <laughs> and, uh, and got a bit lost. I, I get the stuff about two as a rational number. But um, I'm, 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 I think I got lost as to how that led to the dodecahedron. But anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's online. I think you just... Yeah, you should Google, I don't know, Carl Sagan dodecahedron, something like that. It's uh, it's on YouTube as Cosmos, the Platonic Solids. Uh, and it's fascinating. And Carl Sagan being, you know, that kind of uh, rangy genius that he was. Um, and the points of view, yes, was Barry Took being being very funny. And uh, Meglos, uh, that you didn't find, you didn't see that on the season 18 Blu-ray. So that is something that wasn't on the season 18 Blu-ray. So thanks to... Uh, Lisa and Troby for that. Now, in all of the excitement, I have forgotten to uh, get to Fraser Gregory. So let's get to Fraser. He's the guest, not Lisa and Troby. Lisa and Troby uh, will be guests uh, on a future uh, Happy Times and Places. And very welcome they will be because they are lovely and fascinating people. So Fraser Gregory's favourite thing about Meglos 2 after I have said my favourite thing about Meglos 2, which it's got to be that piece of music. Uh, and of course, Meglos is interesting because it has a different musician for parts. Yeah, ah, so the crew, I think you'll find, won't be the same on all four episodes because we changed the incidental musician, of course, because uh, uh, Peter Howell and Paddy Kingsland shared duties due to illness. So... Uh, the crew, no, so all of the credits are not the same, but the cast list is exactly the same on all the episodes of Meglos and the only other story that has identical cast list for its whole duration uh, is Edge of Destruction, which sort of doesn't count because it's just the regulars. Okay, uh, so my, yeah, my favourite thing is that piece of music, particularly the sort of rattlesnake, spiky cactus, you know, goosebumps going up your arm, 
uh it's what it whatever that thing is it's not a guiro but it's something or whatever that uh, sort of slightly raspy percussion sound that's just prickly that prickly incidental music sound but then into that actually very lovely piece of music that that covers what is essentially a tom baker wandering about either with spikes on or without so that's my favorite bit of megalos 2 it brings back happy memories of funking in my bedroom to doctor who the music fraser what is he going to say is his favorite thing about episode two of megalos and will we agree hi again everybody um so for episode two i have picked one of the acting performances from megalos um no it's not frederick Keeler treves or bill kikinine fraser but it is the man himself thomas stewart baker dual role Megloss and the Doctor really gives Tom Baker the opportunity to shine in this story. Uh, again, a lot of the criticism that comes to season 18 is about Tom's performance, that he is dialing in a little bit, he's not really bothered. Um, and to be honest, I think that's a little bit of claptrap. Um, certainly in, in season 18, he's more subdued, he's um, less of a clown than what he was in season 17 but that's a conscious effort on the part of the production team to move away from that um that side of his character and it really gives him again the opportunity to shine and show that he is um a really good actor it takes him back to his season 12 heyday when he was fresh into the role and he had a lot to prove um to go out this way in this style um is a really great opportunity for him and with Megloss you know he does play both roles really well he still has that fun um clownish side to the doctor when he's tripping up in the TARDIS console room um but he also brings that intensity and that um egotistical megalomaniac side to Megloss that just makes it a, a fantastically compelling performance for both characters oh interesting because i was not wild about tom there was i and and, and it's, it's partially because he as i say i think it's to do with discipline i think when he does that sort of cold hard stare i could stop you at a thousand paces and he definitely is a man of extreme power and menace when he wants to be i mean uh, and as an actor he has that real sense of danger and uh, there's a stillness to him when he wants which considering he's so flamboyant and toothy is uh, is sh- shows that he's actually more than just the personality actor i think he's sometimes um you know consigned to being in the in the discourse that we have about doctors and doctor actors he's not he's a he's a classical actor of some heft and he has great presence um but i do think he is ill-disciplined and i and i uh, and and I actually like his season 18 performance. I like the sort of slightly maudlin brooding because he's still really funny in season 18. He's still extremely witty uh, and 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 has some great lines. I don't I'm I'm with Fraser. I don't buy that he's just he's just maudlin, but I there is a low keenness that that is is a conscious decision to rein back some of the excesses of season 17, which I do think kind of needed doing and especially with the uh with a new style of production. It needs somebody to be a bit less you know, uh, <laughs> winking through the fourth wall or whatever. Um, but I, and and I do think Tom Baker is a very very good actor. But I'm I'm not sure I'm with 
Fraser that that it, it's at its best with the characterization of Megalos for the reasons I outlined about lack of consistency with the you know the different people playing it but also I think there's a lack of consistency within Tom as as Megalos sometimes he's and yes I know he's having to pretend to be Doctor Who uh, to um, you know pull the wool over the eyes of the Tigellans but uh, he, he sort of sometimes does that and he sometimes doesn't uh i'm though now i'm talking myself out of it because when he's in that control room and he does and he is a bit sort of tom bakery but it's because i don't entirely trust tom baker because i've seen him misbehave before uh but then again you know a, a performer that doesn't quite make you feel comfortable and makes you go is he taking the make that's you know that's very interesting it's i think it's because i mistrust self-indulgence i, do, I don't like it as uh you know for, from actors and I and I don't like it from comedians um, especially when it's a sort of team game so um, you know I've always said you know it's easy to get a laugh it's harder to get the right kind of laugh and if you're on stage with four other people and you get your cock out you you know you're going to get a laugh um, <laughs> um, let's let's not go any further but you know what I mean you can get a you could get up but it's unfair on your fellow performers if they're trying to you know time time some lines or a bit of business that you've meticulously meticulously worked out it's easy to get a sort of yeah it's easy to, to you know just to spoil the context and get a sort of visceral uh you, you know or instinctive uh response from a from an audience or from from a viewer I, th I think it's harder to do it and and stop the house of cards from falling down do you know what I mean when you're when you're being funny within something like Doctor Who you you have to do it in a way that doesn't wreck Doctor Who which is a which is a very which is on very flimsy ground it's almost daring you to to, to not take it seriously or to dismiss it by its very nature and by its very premise so it needs sort of somebody responsible at its core and and of course and I, Tom Baker is is you know probably my favorite doctor it's, it's, it, it, you know he, he, he has a he, he and Patrick Troughton will have to slug it out um but uh, what and, and probably what what puts Tom you know fighting with Troughton rather than beating him is is his occasional waywardness which i know is part of his appeal as a performer because uh what is it brian cratcher calls him a creative terrorist which is a great phrase and he'll sort of throw a bomb into a scene and you know keep everyone on their toes nobody's phoning it in then but i i but i think it can also be a little bit selfish dare i say it there i've said it um and that's that's me you know talking about a man that i love uh who's you know who's my you know my my introduction to Doctor Who and was my doctor, uh, and uh, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to encounter as well and had good times with. Although you know I've I've occasionally sensed that you know slightly uh, sort of bullish, uh, slightly difficult side to him where you go oh you're you know you're you're kind of. You're throwing your weight around a little bit. I think there is a an element of that, and sometimes that can be in, you know, in daring you with a with a sort of performance thing. You can almost see he might be daring the director to go, "I'm going to do this now," you know, and I dare you to to cross me on it. But maybe that's just because we know so much about him now that you know, and we've got some of that studio footage from other stories where he sort of 
you know, he, he's, he's a bit, he's a bit hard work, you know, how, how do you know how I'd react to you? Are you an alien from the constellation of Kasturbarus? You know, so I, th I think, and I think there is a sort of, you know, there is a, you know, he's almost spits through his teeth, doesn't he? Uh, a kind of cussed kind of insolence that he has, uh, which again makes him sort of compelling. But uh, I, uh, you know, I think, I think it is at his best is when he's got somebody like Philip Hinchcliffe, who he, you know, respected. Different time in his career as the Doctor, of course. You know, all all, all talent, I think, benefits from from being from being deployed well occasionally being filtered occasionally being controlled maybe i don't know yeah maybe maybe sometimes it does maybe sometimes it doesn't it depends who's doing the controlling that's why you know brilliance and magic is is dependent on so many different things that's why so many really talented people can get together to make something and it not work and sometimes people who've only produced you know average stuff get together and on the right day produce something amazing it's it's you know there is an alchemy about this stuff which is why you know it it uh, it benefits from endless revisiting and as i've been talking out loud you know i was starting to sort of go well yeah i think tom's a bit wayward in this as 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 megloss and and as i was talking i was sort of almost talking myself out of it and going no you've got tom baker you've got this mercurial genius who's a very gifted classical actor you don't want somebody telling him what to do you just let him do what he wants to do because he's so watchable and he's so unpredictable and he's so amazing and uh you know he's he's more value than somebody just playing by the rules so yeah uh, i'm you know fraser and i came i i think i think with very different opinions there and the truth is probably in both of them and that's that's fine uh but um and of course i'm supposed to be a, a, a accentuating the positive but because I was, I was just yeah just giving an, an alternative point of view there but in so doing maybe maybe brought myself round to Fraser's point of view which was certainly not my own going into this episode so um yeah happy to happy to concede that one to Fraser am I right or am I wrong I, I mean it doesn't really matter at the end of the day but um he's certainly Thomas Stuart Baker is certainly uh, a fascinating uh, performer, a great asset to Doctor Who. I, I think he's great in season 18. I, you know, season 18 I watched as a kid and there was no question that Doctor Who was amazing and that Tom Baker was an amazing Doctor Who. And we know so much now. Uh, and he is a, a contrary and um, uh, complicated and often contradictory figure is Tom Baker. But he's Boy, he's magic, isn't he? He is. He is essentially. He is magic. Tom, never mind the Stuart. Stuart is Gallifreyan for magic. Tom, magic baker. <laughs> I salute you. Even though, as we see in Megloss, he can sometimes be a little prickly. Well, thanks very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Fraser Gregory, who can be found on Twitter at Felix Fraser. I'm grateful to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, who include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, not that one, Peter Adamson, Andrew and Lisa, Catherine Armitage, John Arnold, Kevin Ashelford, Luke Atkins, James Bell, David Bickley, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Gary Byrne, Robin Bland, Robbie C, Alex Scaffajoglu, Paul Carnahan, 
Paul Caddington, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Elledge, Mark Findlay-Smith, Joe Ford, Gary Gillett, Paul Goodridge, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, ooh, Paul Gregory, Legion Henderson, Dave Hoskin, Richie Howarth, Robert Jewell, not that one, Andrew Jordan, Christopher Joyce, and James Curry-Smith. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like your names read out on the credits of a Doctor Who podcast? Well, that's just one of the bonuses that you can get if you are a patron. That has been mentioned a lot during this podcast because Lisa and Troby, who sent those videos to me, they are members of the patron community, which means that they hear these podcasts a bit in advance of when they are released to everybody else, which is why they were able to, halfway through this one, send me some enlightening information about them. But it's not all about, being a patron is not all about how you can help me by providing interesting uh, content for future episodes. Uh, it's so that you can be like they were, which enabled them to do that, early listeners. They get happy times and places six months before you do if you get it on iTunes, Spotify or any of the other normal outlets where stuff is free. So they get uh, happy times and places six months early, far too, uh, too much information and indefinable magic at least a month early and far too much information which is a sort of spin-off from too much information with even more arcana. Uh, that is a patron exclusive as our monthly AMAs as are other little bits of bonuses which are all available at the lowest tier which is three pounds a month and you can even get 10 percent off that if you go for a year's subscription in one go the tiers go up but all of the proper content is available at the lowest tier and uh, i understand if you can't and don't want to do that because it's a commitment uh, and you may just want to fund the arts uh, by casually tossing some cyber coins into my Electro hat oh, uh, um, at kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, which is a sort of tip for, uh, you know, a, a, a podcast you particularly enjoyed or, or a moment you've felt uh, particularly flush or I've sounded particularly hungry or sad or in need of your charity. Uh, but look, it's the way that we fund ourselves these days when we put stuff out there. Nobody pays for this uh, uh, apart from uh, those who want to or, or can. And uh, that's, uh, I'm perfectly happy with that model, if you are too. But, uh, you know, I know times are absolutely ridiculous. I went to buy some dry roasted peanuts the other day. I thought better off it. They'd gone up by about a quid uh, for, for one of the big bags, which disappointed me. About £1.15, actually, from what they were. At the, and this is just at the co-op. Anyway, let's not get into that. So, look, you have your dry roasted peanuts. And as you're munching your dry roasted peanuts, thinking, I'm glad I spent my money on this and not on Toby Hado. But how... Could I show my appreciation of his of his work if I'm not to do that financially, uh, which is, as I say, absolutely great with me uh, because I'm just glad that you're listening. But if you do want to show your appreciation, uh, uh, you can do it without spending a single dime slash pound slash whatever, whatever. A dime and pound aren't, aren't, it's dime or penny, isn't it? It should be dollar or pound. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, patrons get fewer mixed metaphors. No, they don't. They get exactly the same. They just get them earlier. How you can show your appreciation, uh, why you would want to after this, uh, is to go to iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, anywhere you can score these, give them five stars. 
that really helps the algorithms that really helps to get word out uh, about these to people who might not have had the chance to hear them and a few lines of review wherever they let you do that and perhaps saying nice things on Twitter and on Facebook and all those places uh, in cyberspace really helps really helps more people become aware of these and if more people are aware more people might listen and if more people listen well that just goes to show that uh, these labours are not wasted And follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock. These podcasts have their own feed at Haydock Podcasts. I have a Twitter page, Toby Haydock, which uh, is all my work stuff. It's a black and white picture of me. No, it's not anymore. It's me looking like a comedian rather than my personal page, which uh, I'm I'm sort of streamlining to just be for personal stuff. But my Facebook, I think it's a fan page. Uh, You can sign up to that as well. fan page that's ridiculous i hate that i wish i hadn't said it um but you know what i mean it's just a it's a page toby had a comedian page it's uh oh i said i mean i suppose is this faux modesty because you know oh no I'm, i don't want i don't want people to be i can't bear the idea of people being fans because what they like, like what i do well you wouldn't do it if you didn't hope, think that people would like what you do so um but um i'm yeah i'm uncomfortable with the whole I don't embrace the modern way of doing things. Um, but, you know, I take my hat off to people that are very good at uh, at uh, TikToking their way into the public consciousness. Um, I would rather the work just spoke for itself. But you have to you have to uh, you have to solicit for follows and attention and traction these days. And I'm not very good at soliciting. I sort of, you know, so I like stand on the corner with, you know, some scabies and gout going, <laughs> let's... <laughs> Fiver for a good time. No, let's. Should we? Should we? Should we not go for a metaphor where I compare myself to a Victorian prostitute, grudgingly handing out her virtue for a couple of coins? Um, but it's. A, I mean, it is essentially the same thing, except what you get from me is uh, is bespoke. It's it's you know it's special stuff. You know it's uh, it's it's on the avant garde side of the peccadillo market uh basically in the wee small hours you want me to uh get you going with a few uh, apposite and canny observations about doctor who and a few facts about the actors therein so <laughs> anyway uh i suppose this counts as the post credit the, the sort of the plugging has has bled into the post credit sequence but uh that's okay uh i hope you're very well wherever you are and uh I will speak to you next time. I've got Megalos on my mind. I might even do that episode now. Though I have a slightly raw throat because I've done an hour and a quarter's AMA. It's an Ask Me Anything, uh, which uh, is a patron exclusive. And I've done this episode of Megalos. And I've been chatting to my dog because he's been a bit lonely. Because uh, my other half has not been especially well. So uh, I'm all a bit of a one-man band here at Haydoke Towers right now. Uh, and maybe as a one-man band, I need to uh, I need to play the Megalos tune again. But um, I might have a very raspy throat while I do it. But that, that might be appropriate. I will sound like, I sound like I've been gargling a cactus. I'm very tired too, because I've watched all 12 episodes, or no, all eight episodes of The Last of Us. 
which we kind of binged last night. And I have one more to go tonight. So, but I can't watch that without Shirley. Um, she would be very unhappy if I watched the last episode of The Last of Us without her. And she would be ecstatic if I watched any episode of Megalos without her. Or in fact, any episode of Doctor Who at all. So um, anyway, you get on with your evening and I'll get on with mine. And I will speak to you next time.